everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be talking about drafting blue-white in uh, Phyrexia All Will Be One. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, and let's get into it. Blue-white is the most successful and most drafted among the blue combinations in the format, which is to say that it wins just a little below average for the format overall. Blue-white is almost exclusively drafted as an artifact aggro deck that takes advantage of evasion, vigilance, and uh, tapping things to control the tempo of the game and win races. It's very much uh, like an aggressive tempo deck. You have a lot of evasion and vigilance and some lifelink, and you're, you're pretty good at keywords, I guess, um, in blue-white. I did some like research on the like win rates of top commons, looking at like game and hand win rate, opening hand win rates, the like details of those uh, in terms of like the order of the ranking is available in the notes. I don't think it's worth reading off all of that. I did kind of synthesize the like opening hand win rates and the game and hand win rates and kind of my own experience to come up with uh, sort of like my overall uncommon and common pick order in the archetype. And in general, I don't really like kind of ranking cards in a vacuum, but I do think that with blue-white in particular, because the archetype is kind of always doing the same thing, and because I don't think the curve really affects your decisions that much, because... I don't think you have a curve so much as a pile of two and three drops most of the time. Uh, there's like a little bit that curve is going to change things, but not too much. Um, so I think it's actually like reasonably safe to draft from a reasonably static pick order for uh, blue white. So my like basic pick order for this, just to get it out there, would be Annex Sentry. I think is the best common or uncommon for the archetype. That's the one four uh, kind of like Banisher Priest type effect. Two and a white, uh, one four toxic, one ETB exile an artifact or creature with mana value three or less until it leaves play. Followed by Unctus's Retrofitter, which is uh, the blue three mana, two three uh, toxic one that turns an artifact into a four four as long as it's in play when it enters the battlefield. Ossification, which is kind of the two mana Oblivion Ring, but you have to like enchant one of your basic lands um, in white. Bladed Ambassador, which is the 3-1 with an oil counter that it can remove to become indestructible for two mana. Swooping Lookout, ahead of every common, I think, just because there are so many two and three drops, but not very many uh, one drops. And one, two Vigilance Flying, I feel like, lines up pretty well in the format. It's Good at blocking, good at double blocking, uh, great at getting targeted by Unctus' Retrofitter, good at shutting down Crawling Choruses and uh, Pestilent Siphoners. And I think just, like, having an extra body to start, like, snowballing damage and stuff, you know, since I mentioned this deck is very tempo-oriented, very much focused on racing, I think, like, the damage plus blocking that you get out of it is pretty significant. Also, you get to start building your artifact count early for stuff like the next pick, which is Cephalopod Sentry, the four-mana star five, where star is the number of artifacts you control with flying. So those are the uncommons that I take over all the commons. 
My personal top common in the archetype is Mandible Jessicar. That's the 2-1 life linker that gets bigger whenever you play an artifact. I think that it's really easy to trigger it like twice a turn in the early game and once a turn for a while after that. And that lets it get some really good attacks in and it gives you a huge life cushion, which I think is really important if you're trying to play Eye of Malkatar, which is the three mana artifact that becomes a 4-4 four, four when another artifact enters, uh, which attacks well, but doesn't for the most part block well. But if you have Mand Mandible Jessicar giving you a life total cushion, then you can not worry so much about the fact that it doesn't block well. The issue there with Mandible Justicar giving you a life total cushion is that it doesn't give you a very good cushion against poison. Um, and that's where I think that like Swooping Lookout uh, really shines, because Swooping Lookout is very good at making it hard for the poison decks to get poison in early. Um, so it kind of serves to give you a similar cushion in a different matchup. Next up, Atraxas Skitterfang is the three mana colorless 2 2 that comes into play with the oil. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can remove an oil to give a keyword. Then, my second highest common is, weirdly enough for me, Planner Disruption, which is the uh, pacifism that, can, that also shuts down abilities and can hit artifacts and planeswalkers. And then, Tamyo's Immobilizer, which is the four mana kind of icy manipulator slash tumble magnet artifact. After that, the other commons, Chrome Preller, the 3-2 Flash 3-mana artifact creature that uh, taps something when it enters, followed by Basilica Shepherd. Uh, Basilica Shepherd's the 5-mana 3-3 that makes two one ones, which has really, really good stats, but I push it down a little bit in terms of how high I pick it because I don't want to have too many 5-drops. It doesn't go super late, so that means that I might not have it as much, but I would rather risk having none of them and risk having too many of them and not having a good curve elsewhere, followed by Surgical Skull Bomb that bounces things, followed by Malkater's Watcher, the 1-1 Flying Vigilance that draws a card when it dies, followed by Eye of Malkater, the aggressive 3-mana 4-4 artifact that scries to and enters that I mentioned earlier. I would note that's a lot of cards ahead of Eye. The way that I see people talk about Eye I think that they might be drafting it more highly in this archetype. I think that it's a substantial mistake to take uh, eye over the cards that I've listed. I think that you both want to take it late because it goes late because no one, none of the other decks want it, which you would kind of think would be true of all the blue commons, but isn't really. I also just think that it's not the defining card of the archetype. It is a solid card that you end up with a lot of uh, because they go late and this archetype can use it because of like all the other cards that like let you afford the defensive capability hit of not being able to block well with it but i think that if you prioritize it over cards that would give you a better curve or cards that would give you more control over the tempo of a game that you can end up with a deck that really struggles anytime you're on the draw or if your draw is somewhat clunky. I think Eye of Malkator is just like very high risk, high reward, really, really low floor. And while I think it's, you know, a totally reasonable card, I'm happy to have it in the archetype. I don't want to take it over other cards that are good in the archetype that are a little bit more reliable. So after that, Escaped Experiment. This is kind of uh, lower than I would normally have escaped experiment previous to looking at the data. Its stats are pretty bad. It does attack well, but it, it's another one of the cards like I that really only plays one way. And it's 
even then only good some portion of the time. It's it, like a card that's relatively easy to have blanked, but it does lead to some like really good aggressive starts. Followed by Incisor Glider, which is the 1-3 flying artifact creature that, if your opponent is corrupted, pumps your team. I'm not so much expecting my opponent to get corrupted most of the time in this deck, which is why it's relatively low, but still in there somewhere, both because they could get corrupted and because I'm kind of down to play a 1-3 flying artifact regardless a decent portion of time. Followed by Indoctrination Attendant, which is the 4-mana uh, 3-4 that you can pick something up when it enters the battlefield to make a 1-1 one, one Might. This is going to shift a little bit depending on how much uh, synergy you have with it, but for the most part I expect it to be less of a priority than most of the actual like artifact cards, just because I don't think there are a ton of cards that you really want to play that it's great with. Followed by Crawling Chorus. Crawling Chorus is an interesting one that's worthy of some discussion because it's a great card. It performs like the best of all the white commons overall. And it's a good aggressive card, and this is an aggressive deck. It's also useful as like a chump blocker in playing tempo games that this deck can try to play. It also does eventually lead to getting an artifact, so it has some synergies with what's going on here. Most of what Crawling Chorus is doing is uh, getting toxic damage on your opponent, uh, getting poison counters on them. And this archetype has the potential to care about that some or not at all. Just depending on how open white poison is, you might end up with some white poison package. Incisor glider might become better for you. But I don't think that you want to be like taking crawling chorus early and fighting over the other white decks to have it. The stats here are strange. In premier draft, crawling chorus has really good stats in blue-white. But in traditional draft, crawling chorus has really bad stats in blue-white. Like it's actually a huge jump. And I'm not sure to what extent that's about how the hand smoother affects games versus just kind of variance in the data or what. But my inclination personally is to err relatively low on Crawling Chorus unless I'm like trying to play a significant toxic package in my blue-white deck, which I am mostly not trying to play. I think that there is a conceivable like technically possible way to draft blue white that ends up being like white creatures and blue spells where you basically just like get all the white toxic stuff and then support it with blue cards like aspirants ascent the trick that gives flying and toxic one prologue to phyresis the cantrip that gives your opponent a poison Experimental Augury, which you're basically playing as a slightly better prologue to Phyresis. Um, that's the Anticipate, Proliferate, and Bring the Ending, which is the counter unless they pay two, or hard counter if they're corrupted. I'm really skeptical of this deck because you have to play a lot of bad blue cards, and white has to be really open. But if you do have like the good core white stuff and the blue toxic supports going late and you're basically just like in the first half of the pack every pack you're taking all the good white creatures and then you're just like well now what do i take with the back half of the pack maybe someone at the table is green black toxic and so the like green and black toxic things aren't there but the white toxic things are there you could conceivably draft that deck i've never seen someone post a screenshot of it i've never seen it trophy 
I've never drafted it, but like conceptually it could make sense that it could happen, especially again, if someone is like green, black, toxic, uh, sitting near you, especially like if they're passing to you, but the vast majority of the time that you are in blue, white, like if those colors are open, you should be trying to be in a position to take advantage of the artifact stuff because that's what your seat is for. That's what the uncommon does. Uh, that's where you're going to find the most synergies. Um, and where you're going to get to play blue cards that are arguably slightly less bad, I guess. Some other notes on some weird stats that I noticed uh, looking at 17 lands comparing Premier Draft to Traditional Draft. Gixian Raptor and Escaped Experiment both perform well in best of three, but poorly in best of one. I don't know exactly what to make of that still. Gixian Raptor is kind of a relatively strong standalone card that has relatively low synergy with the rest of this deck. I could sort of see that uh, working better without the hand smoother in like kind of, you know, sloppier games or whatever, but I wouldn't expect it to have that big of a... But I I do think Gixian Raptor is a fine card to play in this deck because it's, you know, another flyer, but it's also, you know, it doesn't have synergies with your other cards for the most part, so uh, I think that you should prioritize the artifact stuff over it, but, like, if it's, you know, happens to be there and you play it, it's fine. I'm not sure that a lot more needs to be said about, like, which cards you want and what the deck does. I, I think that it plays really, really straightforward. I think that... When drafting the deck, you want to pay attention to how open blue is, like whether it looks like you can just table every blue card that you want, and it's reasonably likely that you should be adjusting the uh, prescribed pick order slightly just to early in every pack take the white card over the blue card when there's a white card and a blue card that you want for your deck, regardless of whether the blue card's a little bit better, because white's a lot more likely to be contested and you can probably get the blue card on the wheel. But outside of that, I think it's very straightforward. You're looking to, you know, pay a lot of attention to both players' life totals when you're playing the game. Try to set up, you know, spots where you can use your Chrome Prowlers and random other triggers to push damage at the right time. So, yeah. All right, I'm going to turn it over to chat for questions. So any discussion, questions about any of this, uh, anything you think I might have missed or anything you want more information on, uh, while I'm letting chat hit me with those questions, I want to thank my newest patrons. Thanks to James, Stephen, Michael, and a name that I don't know how to pronounce and researched kind of extensively and came up with a million different uh, pronunciations of. I'm going to guess this. I don't know. But thank you regardless. So yeah, uh, any questions for me? How do you feel about mirrors in the artifact deck with enough of them? So the mirrors in question would be the four mana three one that can search for a mirror and the three mana two three that scries two and lets your opponent scry one. I don't like it conceptually because you theoretically want to have a bunch of the four drops to be able to like find them, but it doesn't sound like a great thing to be doing. I have not played the package and i will admit that the black 4-1 has slightly overperformed in a way that would lead me to believe that the mirrors hypothetically could also but you'd need to not have other fours and the other fours like cephalopod sentry are a lot better 
So I would try to avoid it. Maybe if you somehow are like in this archetype and it's not open, possibly you opened uh, like blue, white, rare or uncommon and just like went with it. And then someone else also happened to, you could get it to round out your artifact synergies and it might be okay, but it's not something I would look to do. And I, w I wouldn't take the any of the mirror over other cards. Stats on Eye of Malkator are mid to low in this archetype, as I mentioned. However, myself and others who have trophied with this archetype felt like it was one of the better cards in the deck. How can we parse this disparity? I mean, my take on it is that it's a card that is hard to evaluate from a small sample size because it varies wildly in terms of how it performs. Uh, some games it's going to be great and some games it's going to be awful and it's easy for a single player to have a run of uh, games that are the good side of its performance. Also, I think different people's perceptions of it will kind of just depend on their disposition in terms of like how much it's good games register at relative to how much it's bad games register. I think that like the data has to be speaking to something. And I don't think it's that people are somehow constructing blue-white decks that have eyes and don't have a lot of artifacts. Also, as I mentioned, like I just think that the reason that it works in the deck is because of assistance from all the other cards. And so I think that it's more important to get the other card that it's getting the assistance from. Do you find blue-white enjoyable to play? <laughs> That's a fun question. Uh, I think I... Do it can be a little bit frustrating, uh, but that's kind of true of the format. It can be somewhat decision intense in terms of like, I feel like there's often a question about like when am I supposed to crack my surgical spell bomb to push damage, and am I supposed to use my chrome prowler on my turn or on their turn, and if on their turn before or after they attack, and. That kind of decision, I guess there's like a lot of, and like when to chump with a um, eye of, or a Malkator's Watcher to trade it in for a card. Identifying these points, they sound like maybe points that I should try to speak to and offer some advice on in general. But of course, the reason that I'm listing them as interesting is that I think that they're decisions that I've found hard and contextual. And so I don't know how much general advice I can give on the subject outside of, you know, like think through where it's going to like what the next turns are going to look like and how the race is going. But I guess, yes, I find it relatively fun to play the archetype. Are there any decks in the format that your blue white is trying to go over top of rather than tempo or outrace? To some extent, I think like the white black aggro toxic decks, you're kind of trying to like invalidate on creature quality which is largely just like you have some flyers and you have some creatures with toughness and they have tiny toxic creatures and a lot of this is just like watcher kind of embarrasses a lot of what they're doing incisor glider shuts down like another portion of what they're doing so i, I think that like your creatures often like line up pretty favorably against like white and black creatures and so in those spots, you end up kind of like playing a just like my guys are better than yours game rather than a tempo game. But like, 
it almost doesn't feel like it because you don't really have to like those feel more like free wins that happen on a different axis than they feel like oh i played a control game if that makes sense because they really happen when you just like dominate them at every point on the curve how do you rate charge of the mites in this archetype uh charge of the mites has generally gone down in my estimation it reads as like split split card that's like removal or threat depending on like what you need but really it's not removal when you're behind and the threat doesn't matter when you're behind so like both of the modes are a lot better when you're ahead most of the time and the mites are only meaningfully aggressive when your opponent doesn't really have anything going on and the removal spell is inefficient basically always trades down and risks getting blown out if your opponent has like removal in response if you're trying to kill something that you have exactly enough for which some portion of the time you just have to do it has some cute synergies with mandible justicar and eye of malcator but i think that i've found overall that i would prefer to just have other cards to trigger those i'm pretty low on charge of the mites in general and particularly in this archetype when i'm not worried about toxic um since i think kind of the best thing charge of the mites is doing is like letting you go wide with toxic stuff if you're low on interaction would some of the poison matters combat tricks be worth running over something like skull bombs no i think the skull bombs especially the blue one are pretty great because they give you like artifact fall plus tempo i'm not sure oh so the poison matters combat tricks you're talking about the uh plus one plus one and an extra plus one plus oh and first strike if they're corrupted I think that card's fantastic if you're reliably corrupting your opponent, but I think that this deck is very rarely doing that. And the plus one, plus three, and toxic and flying is a card that I've kind of liked, but it's hard for me to advocate because it just has abysmal stats like all over the all across the board. So I, I think for the most part, I would say you're probably safer leaning on the skull bombs uh, over those cards and. Like the skull bombs are interactions. So, and then as far as low on interaction, if you're low on interaction in this deck, I would hope that uh, you're high on like eyes and flyers and you're kind of trying to just like power through or like have evasion. And then, you know, like, of course, uh, prowlers and stuff are interaction in some way. Do you take equipment high in this archetype or just go for evasion and low curve? Yeah, the equipment is like nice because it's kind of like an artifact creature in theory, but uh, most of the white equipment is just not very good on rate. And I think that you're better off with the other artifact cards rather than the equipment for the most part. But I try to mulligan hands with I if I'm on the draw, assuming I have two mana play. Um, so if you're on the draw and you have I and you have a two mana play and you have like three lands and a functional hand, I think I would keep it, but uh, I think that if you're on the draw and your first play is I, you probably need to mulligan. It's not that I think I is unplayable on the draw, it's that I think I is a lot better on the play, but if the rest of your hand can play a good enough tempo game to make up for the fact that like you're on the draw with a card that can't block as your three drop, then like that's fine, but you want to draft a deck that gives you hands that are capable of that. And you, you definitely need to mulligan if you're on the draw and your first play is I. I went back and forth on playing Veil of Assimilation in this deck and ultimately cut it. What factors lead you to actively wanting to play it other than uh, just it being your last playable? 
I think the best thing it scales with is Unctus's Retrofitter, since then you have like it becomes a body that can attack, so you don't like pay the cost of playing this artifact that doesn't itself battle. And then I guess to some extent, like how good vigilance is on your creatures, but mostly I think it's just are all of your things artifacts are a decent number of them like spell bombs and cantrips such that you're like continuing to play artifacts a lot. And then most importantly, do you have multiple retrofitters? Can you offer advice on how to not flood every game? Yeah, that's certainly desirable in the deck. The best tools that you have are I to scry away lands, the spheres and playing a lower land count, and then the uncommon 2-4 uh, that loots when you play an artifact. The uncommon 2-4, I think, isn't a priority over the like more, like the other cards that I talked about that um, I think just play to your like a plan better but i think it's a fine like you know late pick filler type card that can definitely help if the game goes long i think that a lot of these decks want to try to play 15 basics plus like one or two or zero spheres yeah i i think kind of the format in general is like you want 15 basics plus one to three spheres depending on what your curve is like that's about as much as I can offer there, though. I guess if you have a deck that's particularly worried about it, you can look to play a Skyfisher. I guess is like another way to slightly hedge. Favor more oil or toxic for blue-white? Not really. I think that you, I favor artifacts and largely ignore both oil and toxic synergies. I guess it's more likely that toxic synergies are going to matter than oil synergies. Is Tamiyo Book playable? I have played Tamiyo's Logbook. I think that you need to have, like, literally all of your cards are artifacts and have creatures that are statted to be slightly uh, more defensively capable. Like, I would want to have a relatively low number of Eye of Malkiters, um and a relatively high number of, like, Incisor Glider type cards. I guess it would be fine to have some, like, planner disruption type cards uh, since, like, you know, removal is good with books. I think that most of the time you're trying to just, like, straight up race. You don't want to take time off to play a card like that. But I think that there are possible, like, very good versions of the deck that have, like, you know, more annex sentries. And just kind of, like, if you have a high card quality, so it's a little bit easier to play a longer game on it, game with it, then it starts to be more reasonable to try to play the book. Like, especially if you're, like, if you have some, like, if you have Twilights or something, like, you generally set up more like a, I'm going to win the long game deck, and then the rest of your cards are, like, lean into that, then Logbook can kind of, like, tie the room together, slash is functional filler in deck, depending on how you look at it. How do the situations in draft where you uh, get into the blue-white lane typically look? Is it starting with drawing uncommons rares or more starting with... So sometimes for me, it's I start with like the blue-white uh, rare that makes a golem or I start with the... Uh, I start with Unctus, the blue rare that like loots when you attack, tap a 
does some bonuses for blue creatures and artifacts that involve pumping them and looting in some combination. Those things are pretty good, like strong cards that you start with that make you want to try to play it. Outside of that, I'd say like if you're white and then like I, I say if you're white because I basically never want to start a draft blue. Um, but if you're white and then you see uh, like a cephalopod sentry, like third to sixth pick or something, well, third, late, third or later, or if you get past a retrofair, those would be the easiest ways in early. Outside of that, it's like if you're white X and no other X is available and you settle into blue, but it's tricky there because a lot of the time that you start white, you're starting toxic white and kind of don't want to be blue. But I guess I've had a decent number of drafts where I start toxic white and then it's obvious that like blue white's where I'm supposed to be. And then I just kind of pivot away from the toxic moving forward. And I end up sort of like abandoning a lot of my cards, but in a way that like functions as a softer pivot to get there. What do we consider critical mass of artifacts for I to be playable? If it's at all close, don't be playing it. Again, I like the deck isn't about finding a way to play I. The deck is about I have a bunch of like artifact synergies and you know cephalopod sentry and like a good evasive tempo plan, and then I can support that. Not like oh, I'm like a blue white deck with like some toxic guys and. A handful of artifacts and where's the line here like the, the question about whether you should be playing i is like well you're already totally an artifact deck now are you good enough at games where you like have an awkward draw or you're on the draw for i to like still be a functional card you need a vast majority of your cards to trigger it to think about it how do counter spells play out in this archetype i'd imagine they play well with cat but the deck plays lots of cards that they want to play uh, things on their turn so they don't play out that, uh, that well. Yeah, I think that the problem is that you're like very much a like critical mass linear deck for the most part, and counter spells can kind of... Like, if you are trying to draw another card to trigger Eye of Malkator and you draw a counter spell instead, it's real rough. I think that, you know, you can play a counter spell or two as filler if you have to, but it's not some... like. Certainly, like compared to Brothers War, where I felt like blue was about blue white was about getting like some evasive soldiers down and then playing counter spells to stop your opponent from catching up. I think this deck plays out really differently in such a way that that's not how I want to go about things. You don't necessarily start out like committing to the board before your opponents, and your opponents kind of like less likely just as a function of the nature of the kinds of cards people are encouraged to play in this format to like be playing something big to catch up that you're going to hit with a counter spell, right? Like everyone is trying to play to the board all the time and uh, counter spells are good and limited when you're ahead. And this deck just can't count on doing that. Also, if you do play a counter and you do leave up mana for it, you don't really get to be selective at all. Like you have to counter basically anything they play or you fall too far behind on tempo. And at that point, it's not really doing what you want a counter spell to do in terms of like picking off their key cards. For someone who only plays best of three, should I look at 17 lands best of three data or just premier data since it has uh, more sample size? It's a tricky question, Fithers. I think that I would look at both. I think that for some cards, you basically have to look at Premier Draft just to have a large enough sample size. 
but I'd want to reference the best of three to like see where there's disagreement and try to figure out what's like going on there if I can. It definitely gets really confusing to like try to parse multiple data sets and it's very easy for this answer to be, well, do a lot more work than you want to do. And I don't necessarily have a good solution if that's how the answer reads. I also, as someone who mostly plays uh, best of one, haven't needed to go deep on solving the problem myself. This is just a mention that I touched on something earlier that's useful, which is the pivoting from a toxic start. And I, I think it's worth talking about uh, that a little bit more because I do think that this is a format where you're often in a spot where you should pivot and it is a format that's like punishing slash hard to pivot in. So I talked about starting with white toxic cards and then blue being open and pivoting into this deck and then kind of trying to like find artifacts later to replace the toxic cards that I started with. Sometimes maybe including some of that toxic core, sometimes not, depending on whether I see better stuff or whether I don't, and also how good and how robust that toxic core was when I started pivoting. When you find an open lane in this format, you end up with way more than enough playables basically all the time. Uh, the format, for all of its flaws, has uh, like an extremely high density of playable of commons that are playable in the right context. That means that you can afford to sacrifice picks pretty often. But where things get hard is when you try to pivot, but you don't know for sure that you're switching, and then your picks end up straddling two different archetypes for too long, and then by the time you've found you've made a choice, you've kind of given up too much value. And that makes like some switches really difficult. Switching from blue toxic to blue white gets to be relatively painless because you can kind of prioritize colors properly and like spend a little bit of time while you're figuring it out, maybe prioritizing like um, planner disruption and stuff. Even though you're like, well, I don't ultimately want to play these toxic cards, you get to kind of ride the line in a way that hurts you a little bit less for a while. And if you're in a spot where you're not sure if you're going to end up focusing on toxic or artifacts, it is possible to play versions of this deck that have a reasonable toxic package and an artifact package where you're like, you know, using your incisor gliders and your indoctrination attendant has like some follow through on your early toxic and stuff. It can be tricky. It is doable. This feels like a relatively safe place to pivot, but there are going to be drafts where navigating the pivot is tricky. If you ended a pack with a bunch of two mana one three, like glider and th synthesizer in uh, blue white and blues open, could you potentially move into something similar to a blue green defensive deck? Are there any theoretical good white cards in that space that wouldn't be good in a tempo based white deck? an interesting consideration i mean the best white cards there are of course going to just be the kind of good high impact white cards specifically uh indoctrination attendant and basilica shepherd and i could see kind of leaning into indoctrination attendant and basilica shepherd if you had especially if you had good value to pick to like go with the attendant so I guess that would the best way that I'd be really excited about that is if I had 
the blue-white rare that makes the 3-3 golem that I could uh, pick up with Indoctrination Attendant. And then I could kind of prioritize attendance. And then maybe if I found, like, Retrofitter, then I could start prioritizing uh, Prophetic Prisms to be able to animate with the Retrofitter or pick up with the Indoctrination Attendant. And then the Prisms are theoretically, like, bridging you a little bit in terms of making those synthesizers playable if you end up actually wanting to play them, though I'd probably prefer to play, like, other two drops over them, even in that spot. This is kind of getting back into the thing that I was like vaguely touching on as far as like a version of the deck that could use logbook where again, I'd be a lot more likely to do it if my overall power level is really high. But I think there's something here. I think, you know, the more you go in this direction, the more you want to really actively avoid eye of Melkator. But I don't think it's impossible that like you could construct a, like defensive blue white value control deck in addition to the like aggro version and the like all in toxic weird blue splash version all right thanks for uh tuning in and listening and for uh questions from everyone who had questions for me ended up with a little bit more to say than i thought that i might so uh yeah thanks and i will be back next week but i will not be back next wednesday i'm going to be uh traveling for uh magic con in philly and then i'm visiting some friends for a few days after that so i'm actually going to be returning to madison next wednesday so the podcast will be delayed until thursday next week so there's that and uh yeah of course again it'll be up to the patrons uh what i'm talking about so, uh, yeah, have a good week, especially good luck to everyone playing in the Pro Tour this weekend, but also playing any other magic and see you in just over a week for another episode of the podcast. Thanks and bye for now.